Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to this episode with Lauren O'Hayan and Lauren is creator and founder of Restore Your Core and I came across Lauren's work when I had a prolapse and her program really helped me and I really valued her approach um, which is different to a lot of what's out there and so so many women you know have problems with pelvic floor issues whether that's prolapse incontinence pelvic pain all sorts of things and it has a huge impact on sex and pleasure and intimacy on how you experience it on how you feel your sense of self and what makes me so sad about all of this is so much of it's preventable and so for me having these conversations is really really important and Lauren shares her wisdom on what to do if you have pelvic floor problems how to care for your pelvic floor and how to prevent things happening in the first place. So enjoy. Welcome to today's episode. And I'm really delighted today to be joined by Lauren O'Hayan. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's a topic that's uh, really dear to my heart. And so I'd love to... Uh, invite you first to share uh, uh, what you do in this world about your work. Mm -hmm. So I'm a longtime movement teacher. I began teaching movement in 1999. Um, I'm like, that's a very long time ago. That just <laughs> dates me right out the gate, which is fantastic. I like being dated. Um, and so I started my training in yoga, but then I moved into Pilates and functional fitness. I've racked up a bazillion different trainings over the years, a lot of somatic movement. And so I'm a movement teacher who helps people who have core and pelvic floor issues, low back issues. Um, but primarily people with, I work a lot with core, but a lot with pelvic floor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. And, and I that's... have a rehab program. I mean, I could go on and on. I have an online <laughs> rehab program and I teach in person, all sorts of things. Mm. And you have a network of people you've trained around the world as well. I do. I have a network of teachers. Uh, every year we train about 80 new people and it's phenomenal. We're very blessed to have those, those mm. people out there doing the good work. And your method, Restore Your Cool. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I got into, I had been living in Brooklyn. I'm now living in Miami, but I had been living in Brooklyn and I had three children back to back literally like one after the other. And I became very interested in this population, people having babies, pregnant people. And I began, like in my interest in that, I also began to be referred to a lot by various other movement professionals. And it seemed very odd to me that our pelvic floor was being treated in a silo. Like there was a big silo vacuum approach. Like, ooh, and I think it comes from like this fear of like this lack of understanding about the pelvic floor, about the vagina, about the vulva. And that like, oh, okay, okay, there's a problem. Let's just tense it up, squeeze it up, do some contractions. So people were coming to me saying, you know, I went to my PT and um, I have this prolapse, but you know, I'm doing all these Kegels and it's just making things work. What am I doing wrong? And they felt, on top of feeling the shame around a pelvic floor injury, they felt doubly uh, frustrated that the, the, the common <laughs> treatment protocol was not working on them. What was wrong with me that what everyone else seems to be doing is not working for me. And it just seemed crazy to me that we weren't taking into account the entire body. So I thought, okay, market research, is there an online program that 
looks at the pelvic floor from a whole body perspective, okay, no, this is what I want to do. And what really set me off was a blog post that I read uh, by a man, no less, or um, yeah, a male yoga teacher who had a blog post titled, um, what to do, how to fix your loose vagina. And it infuriated me. Like I, I like the anger just rose out of me. And I thought, doesn't he know that vaginas can't even be loose? Like that is also just such a logical fallacy. And it infuriated me that, and, and his, his answer was learn to get into a handstand by floating effortlessly into your handstand. I mean, it was like so outrageous. So it was like, <laughs> in every way, shape and form, it was really this outrageous article, but it had a lot of comments and shares and likes. And I was infuriated. I was like, this is so unjust. This is really unacceptable. We have these people who are so injured thinking that like the root of all their issues is that they can't effortlessly float up into this handstand. So I actually wrote a post counterfeiting that, refuting that. And the reaction to that was so positive that I thought, I need a program. I need a program to really help people understand that the root of their pelvic floor issues may not even exist in their pelvic floor. So Restore Your Core was born out of that desire to help people find a more whole body approach to what is going on in their pelvic floor core and beyond. Mm, beautiful. And that's how I found you because I had a prolapse about four years ago and went on a whole healing journey around that. Mm-hmm. And when I found your program, I was like, oh, this really makes sense, of course. And, you know, your program is, I've done lots of online programs. And I think your program really is really well put together. And I love the way that the foundations build and the different options for the different sort of lengths of, of, of um, videos that you can follow. And you just articulate it really well. So highly recommend it. And I really felt the shift in me from, from using it as well, which is, you know, why I wanted to talk to you about it and bring your work to my audience um, and awareness. So, so yeah. So, so you work a lot with people around the pelvic floor. So I'd love you to sort of speak to what are the sort of real common things that you see um, your clients, your students present with? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for the kind words about my program. I appreciate that. And I'm glad you found it useful. Um, so there's a, there's a spectrum. I see so many people. I actually work with a lot of males as well. Um, um, and so, but if we're talking about more of a female population um, or, you know, assigned female at birth population, I I see even people who are in their very early 20s with serious pelvic floor issues. In fact, I am helping somebody who is 15 right now. It's really out of my, it's not that it's out of my scope, but I don't work with teens so much. And as a mom to three teenagers, I'm like, oh, if I have to see one more teenager in any capacity, (laughs) no. But I, I understand a lot about, so people, you know, physical therapists will come to me and ask me to weigh in on their teen pop. And so I am kind of co-consulting on a teen right now. Um, who, so I see people who have incontinence. I'll see that a lot. And because people think like pelvic floor issues are, that's what happens to you when you have a baby. And it's like, mm, actually, no, that's again, this, you know, women's health is deprioritized. It is not addressed in many ways at all. And so, and when it is addressed, it's like, oh, that's just what happens to be expected. It falls into that bucket just live with it. And so I think that we've always thought that pelvic floor issues are for people who've had a baby, but actually I work with people with pelvic floor issues as young as 15. In in fact, a a friend of mine's daughter who's 11 is experiencing incontinence and it's not, sometimes in children incontinence can be due to constipation, but this is actually um, brought on by a gymnastic related injury. Very interesting, actually a fracture in their lower back. So it is so interesting how, how, the pelvic floor can be so affected by all these other injuries in the body and it can happen at any age. So I deal with people who have incontinence, who have a prolapse, who have pain with um, intercourse, who have pain post-orgasm, who struggle to achieve orgasm. Um, And I would say those are the primary things that I work with within the pelvic floor context is those areas. There are other issues like um, vulvodynia and 
vegemis. I don't really do a lot of that work, um, but I do a lot of, I mean, I do a lot of the pelvic pain work, which could fall into that bucket. So yeah, but the primary things are incontinence and, um, and prolapse, I would yeah. say. And it can happen at any age and you don't have to have had a baby. But a lot of people around menopause and around childbirth are feeling those things very powerfully. Yeah. And how common are these things? You know, because Ooh. I, yeah. <laughs> One in three. Is that for prolapse and incontinence? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's for general pelvic floor issues. I'd have to okay. check my research, yep. but it is rampant. And I got an Instagram message from someone the other day saying, um, hey, I'm you know entering childbirth. You like I'm thinking of having a baby. I'm on the older side, you know, I'm in my 30s, late 30s. A lot of my friends have had their babies. They all have pelvic floor dysfunction. I'm terrified now to have a baby. What do I do now? So it's interesting because, and 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 then and then this person also wrote, and when I've asked my doctor about it, my doctor said that's just what happens. Just have the baby. So it's like we go into it. The cultural context is so rich, and I mean rich in a bad way, but it's yeah. so deep seated. It is so embedded. I went to a gynecologist here in Miami once who tried to tell me that the pelvic floor couldn't be hypertonic. And I was like, that is the majority of my clients is hypertonic pelvic floor, which is when the pelvic floor muscles are too tight. He was like, no, every pelvic floor is weak. I was like, you understand that weak and hypertonic are not like mutually exclusive, right? Like it was just fascinating to me that this person who, but this is what they do. They deliver babies every day, right? They deal with crises and pap smears and, medical issues so he doesn't understand that pelvic floor is a system it was just fascinating i was like and, but this is what our clients are coming from yeah. and going to and dealing with yeah and i think it's really important to really share because i hear that so much as well and i've had that experience as well when i had the prolapse you know this is how it is and you know i was just like mm, but i had to search so hard when i had it to find information that told me anything different yeah. And so just to send that message out there to anybody listening this to this, that, you know, this is what's happening, but it doesn't mean to say this is how it is and this is right. Yeah. And there's a lot that can be done. So why do you feel this is how it is, this sort of this, this systemic culture around this in women's health? Shame. I think that there is no precedent until now to talk openly about vaginas, vulvas, the clitoris, all those terms are so uncomfortable for people. You know, the word vulva um, comes from the word in Latin meaning shame. And I don't know very many cultures or any off the top of my head that teaches us about our vulva in the way that they teach us about other parts of our body, right? It's just like, and I have so many clients and I myself, I grew up with a mother who's very, um, she wasn't sheltered or conservative, I would say, but she definitely didn't like teach me about my vulva when I was growing up. But when I started having sex, she was like, oh, you're having sex. You're pretty young. Let's get you some birth control. So that was cool, right? Like she was open about that stuff. Um, she didn't try to shame me for wanting to be sexual when I was 15, which is a very normal age to want to be sexual. She was cool about that. And I think that, and I'm raising three daughters and like, I think that their first word I hope was vulva. Like for me, it is just, let's de let's normalize it. Let's destigmatize it. Let's just know it's just a word. It's just a body part. And, and we expect like culturally other people to teach us about it. Like a lot of my clients had their first sexual experience with another person rather than with themselves. We, we farm it out on multiple levels to other people. And that's a real travesty. So I think that there's just this culture of like, it's shameful in many, many, I've made this Instagram post about the vulva and shame. And I got, well, that post got like 10,000 comments, but many of them across the board, but a lot of people wrote into me to say, oh, I'm from Denmark. And the word for vulva, the word for labia is shameless. Like, even languages like, I think it was Korean or Japanese as well, like Nordic languages, Asian languages, Germanic languages, Latin rooted, like all of these languages that had the word shame to talk about 
the vulva, the vagina. It's so interesting. So wow. it's obvious. I mean, we know why. Nobody yeah. wants to talk about what's happening. Even people will talk about it as down there. What do you mean down there? This is practically the center of my body. There's nothing down or there about this part of the body. Why are we referring to it? Or uh, like my privates, we, 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 words create worlds, which is what Heschel said. And it's one of my favorite quotes because yeah. we create these stigmas by, by refusing to talk about it or by talking about it in like, or even people who talk about their, like to their children, your, whatever they call that, your wee wee, your papa, your poopa. No, it's, it's a vagina. You're creating a stigma when you use a stand in name for those body parts. Why are we doing that? So I think that like we get, and then, and then when we have a problem in that area, we're embarrassed to go talk about it because nobody's ever said it's okay. It's okay to have those issues. Hey, a lot of people have those issues. It's okay to ask for help and it's okay to receive help. I don't think we also are in a culture where women are like, hey, I'd love to receive some help for that. Could you support me through this? Yeah, totally. Thank you. And I'd never, I didn't know that about vulva because I'd heard that around the pudendal nerve, but um, that's yeah, so that's what I meant. The pudendal nerve. You're right. Okay. It's about the, but it's about the pudendal nerve. But labia, the word yeah. labia. So you're right. Pudendal nerve is the shame. I, I retract that. <laughs> labia lips in many language translates to shame lips. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? Wow, incredible. Yeah, it's just, and, and I've worked with many clients who don't even have a word. It's not even down there or, you know, there's just no word for, for, for this part. I said this part yeah. of our body remains invisible. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to share about, you know, what you shared about getting help because the research shows particularly around things like incontinence and prolapse that it can take years for a woman to get help. And then by the time those years have passed, things have got much worse potentially as well. Yeah. And so I just really also want to name that for anyone listening who may be feeling, you know, because I started when I had my prolapse, I started very consciously talking about it in women's circles and different things. And then people were coming up to me afterwards saying, oh, I've had this going on and, you know, and, and the shame and embarrassment they felt to not want to go and get support. Um, and how do you then, here's a, here's a question, you know, given that, Often you ca it is the experience of many women. They go to a medical practitioner to be told this is just how it is. How does somebody listening seek out support that can offer a different view of let's look at what's possible here? It's really hard. I mean, it actually, when you were telling saying that about women getting help, I do have a client that I'm working with who's in her 60s who didn't uh, like take care of it, didn't take care of it, didn't, didn't realize, like, again, didn't have the context to know, like in order to know, you've got to know, right? Like there was no context to know she should do something about this. And by the time she did go ask for help, the response from her doctor was, why don't we sew up your vagina? Mm. And that is actually a common treatment. Yeah. Uh, it's offered, like, would anyone ever say to a, person, a male person, let's sew your dick to your leg. It's unbelievable. Or let's chop your dick off. Why don't we just, we'll just chop it off. And, you know, she worked with me for two years before she saw a lot of improvement. I won't lie. Like things were bad. Things were very progressed with her, but still that was the treatment that she was offered. So back to your original question, how do we how do we encourage people? I think what ends up happening is like the happy crappy of the internet. The happy is that people can search stuff up. The crappy is that they're being given highway, <laughs> like in the night, in, like information that has like, who knows where it's coming from. But oftentimes if that doesn't work for them, people don't generally at this point stop. They're like, okay, I've invested a little bit of my time. Let me invest a little bit more time and see what's going on. Like, why are these Kegel things not working for me? So it's hard to, you know, part of it is, this is why I love educating professionals so that the professionals seeing as a first line of defense. Yeah. And actually in Miami, I train a bunch of gynecologists and that's a great first line of defense. So it's really great when like the, um, I actually thought about getting my master's in public health to be able to reach doctors and, and, and um, you know, gynecologists and physical therapists first, 
um, because they are the first line of defense. And so, so I love training professionals because then we have more conversation around, hey, are you looking at their breathing? Are you looking at their thoracic mobility? Have you checked into how they're, well their pelvis moves? Are their feet presenting with anything? Does their, do their femurs rotate? Do their thigh bones rotate? These are all important elements. And so I think that like part of it is getting the word out more amongst professionals. And another part of it is like just hoping people continue to be fastidious and not take no for an answer or not, or, or say, well, that's not working for me. What else is there for me? That didn't work, now what? Yeah. I want the curious nature of human. We are curious. This is why we're talking on Zoom right now using the, like, because she, some human was curious enough to keep going and going and find <laughs> solutions, right? Like this is why we can have technology is curiosity yeah. created technology. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that same innate human curiosity also leads people to be more fastidious about this stuff. But also I think that again, destigmatizing it. Like I have so many people who reach out to me and say, Thanks to you, I just called my 35-year-old daughter and was and gave her a whole lecture on her pelvic floor. No one gave me that information, but it's not too late for my grandchildren. Yay! <laughs> Win! You know, the more we get the message out, the more we have these conversations, the better. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned around so women with um, experiencing a hypertonic pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love you to speak to that. Um, why do you feel that that's happening so much? Mm. And how might a woman know that that's what she's experiencing? So if you walk into a porta potty, we can all agree it stinks. And when you smell that stink, you don't consult yourself on how to manage it. Like your body goes through this series of things to contain the stink. You hold your breath, right? Mm -hmm. So in life, we hold our breath all the time to manage the porta potty of our life. Now, I'm not saying life is all a porta potty, it's not, but we all, there are micro difficulties and traumas that happen all the time. Being a teenager, especially as a you know, female assigned, assigned female at birth, is hard for anyone, but especially for, for those of us. So, you know, there's just so many times in our life where we need to hold our breath figuratively. And we all do it in a different way. We all, some of us in our jaw, some of us in our shoulders, some of us in our belly, some of us in our pelvic floor. These are easy places in our body to control and they are coping mechanisms. And when I talk to my clients about them, because they can feel so much shame around it, like, why did I do that? Why did I mess my own body up? Why did I, God, I really messed myself up. It's like, no, your, your body is so intelligent it created a way to, to metabolize and digest life. That's not stupid. Your body cares about homeostasis. It's not getting specific about how functional that's gonna make you. So I think that people grip their pelvic floor for a variety of reasons. I think that one reason is it's a great coping mechanism. It works, it helps. Um, I'd rather that than other extreme forms of cope, right? Um, and I think that also people grip potentially as muscle compensation. So when one part of our bodies are unstable, what we tend to do, our bodies don't consult us. It happens very like behind the scenes. Our bodies will tense another area to create stability. So we like our body is a constant dance of stability, mobility, compression, and tension. That is, that is how we move. That is normal, natural existing but that balance can be off. We can have too much mobility in one area and then we compensate by having too much rigidity somewhere else. And I think that what I see in my clients with pelvic floor hypertension, it often comes hand in hand with too much mobility somewhere else, right? There's too much give somewhere else and the pelvic floor is looking for stability. And so it grips and it gets stuck in that pattern. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Wow. And so for people um, experiencing, whether it's incontinence, uh, prolapse, pelvic pain, could you speak about the healing path for that? And yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective. You know, so you asked like what people who do have hypertonic yes. pelvic floor, how would they know that and how would yeah. they resolve it? Thank you. you would know that because a lot of these symptoms are so like leaking 
is very much about a hypertonic pelvic floor. People think it's weak pelvic floor. So, but I, weak is a funny word. Weak is a, is a very subject. What does weak mean? If my pelvic floor is too tight, that is a weakness. So, but people think weak means the muscle is somehow flaccid and it needs to get tighter. That's not what weak means. I would, I would say weak means non, I would like to replace the word weak with non-functional. Mm-hmm. So a muscle, the high pelvic floor can be hypotonic, which means lacking in tone or hypertonic, too much tone. And both of those are a quote unquote weakness. So what we do about that is there are various kind of tests and assessments to determine what's what in your body, right? And to kind of determine, do your muscles lack tone or do they have too much tone? And then once we figure that out, we're also then looking at what's happening beyond the realm of your pelvic floor that could be influencing that. Again, we're looking at the feet. Do they collapse the arches or the arches too high? Are you always standing with your feet turned out? that will affect your pelvic floor. Do you walk kind of like with your hips doing a big sachet? Or some people walk with no movement in their hips. They've got this really kind of rigid. So what's going on in, we call that gait, G-A-I-T, gait patterning. What's happening in your gait? Um, do your, does your pelvis have adequate mobility? Does your rib, there's just, a, and it sounds like a lot of things to look at, but really we can shoot many birds with one stone with this work when we know what we're looking for. So part of it is just getting a, zoomed out picture so we can then get a more considerate approach to the pelvic floor Mm. and take care of kind of all the other things that are happening at the same time. Mm. And is that the sort of things assessments your trainers would do? 100%. Like we very, and the cool thing about being a personal trainer who doesn't do internal exams is it has given us this myriad of tools, non-touch based tools. You know, you go into an exam and I love physical therapists. I work with them all the time. They're amazing, but we live in a society that doesn't encourage us to be our own barometer and to be our own assessor. And then we go into an exam and somebody's hands are inside of us telling us you're this and you're that. It's very disassociating. It is the exact opposite of an experience that drops you deeper into your body. It's like you're hearing the terms, but they're they're talking about you, but not of you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's yeah. like they're just labeling you, which might they might be things that are real and true, but it's really hard to find healing when you suddenly have like all these labels put on you because someone else's hand felt those things. As opposed, and I do love I do, there is a time and place for internal examination. But as opposed to helping someone experience, feel and sense those things themselves. So if like, I had a client come to me the other day and she was like, yeah, apparently my pelvic floor only does a Kegel to a level two. And I was like, who who told you that? She was like my physical therapist. And I was like, okay, what does that mean to you? She was like, I don't even know what it means period. And I was like, this is the problem. Like we are disconnecting people further and further from their actual issues because we're utilizing terminology that works in the physical thing. Like I can talk to my physical therapy friends that way, but if I'm talking to a client, what does that mean to them? That that it's, it's like this objective speak. I would like it, or this subjective speak, I would like it to be like, so we spent the entire hour helping that. I, I, my goal was to help that client feel the walls of her vagina, her pelvic floor, how it moves, what's going on? And then she could be like, ah, now I understand my pelvic floor doesn't quite get this move. Like suddenly it was from her perspective, rather from like a drone's perspective. (laughs) Do you live in your house or are you looking at your house from above? Yeah. I want people to live in the house of their pelvic floor, but to feel it and experience it and to define it on their own. Like the defining thing is their sense of it. Yeah, wow. And so do you guide people to do that then? Or would your trainers do that? Your the team, amazing. 100%. Yeah. That's what we do is like, amazing. is someone tasting the pizza for you? Or is that piece of pizza in your mouth and you taste it, feel it, sense it and understand now contextually when someone says the word pizza, you're like this whole system 
ramps up in your brain where it understands what pizza means. <laughs> but people in their pelvic floor, you say pelvic floor, they're like, well, oh, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Uh, my goal is to give someone the pizza, the taste, taste it, feel it, experience, embody it. Like if I say ice cream, you and I know exactly what that means. But I say pelvic floor, blah, blah, blah. And people immediately are like, it's like a blank. Yeah. I want yeah. them to feel their pelvic floor from, like, from the inside. Wonderful. No, I didn't realize that. That's fantastic. And I totally agree. And so when is it helpful for somebody to go and see a PT? You great said the question. Time, yeah, so. great question. I think that if the PT is doing internal work, it can be great as long as there is, I, I mean, I was working, a PT asked me to help them once. So I did. And I went into the office to help them and they take out their ultrasound machine and they start probing. And now they're looking, the, the, the person is lying on the bed. They've got the ultrasound probe on them. And the PT is just staring at the screen talking. And I'm looking at the client and the client is like wincing. They're in pain. They don't even follow. It's language they don't get. And I'm like, hello? Like, are you, see are you looking at the person you're touching? It's just like, again, this probe. And they're just like talking, talking, talking. And then they finish. They're like, right, okay. So what we're going to do about this is, and I was like, wait a minute, how about you drop the client into that journey as well? So I, I, I and, but, but on the other hand, many PTs are looking at their client, communicating with their client, utilizing language that is fostering relationship client to like from the client to their body. So I do, I do think a PT can be really, sometimes people have adhesions scar tissue, internal work, um, you know, scar internal work that can be very valuable, even internal work with prolapse. But as long as are you looking into their eyes and helping them feel what you feel, or are you just reading off now the, the data sheet that you got from feeling inside their body? Like these are the data points. It's like running a, running a, a diagnostic and getting a printout and then reading the person or is the person experiencing that diagnostic in real time? And so I feel like the PTs who are doing that and utilizing PT to help someone drop into their own experience is great. That's where I really love the work. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for that. And I found I, I've been working with an incredible woman who's a PT and also trained in holistic pelvic care yeah and the Tammy Lynn Kemp work and she's been amazing and it's a very it's all very much about presencing inside as well and it's a very different experience than some of the more um, functional PTs I've seen over the years so I really get that so so for people you know any other wisdom that you'd love to share for women out there who may be experiencing prolapse incontinence pelvic um, pain that you would love to impart around their their healing journey I think we're given very unrealistic timeframes about healing and um, the cultural standard is get back on your feet, bounce back. There's just a lot of bounce back, get back. And then there's a lot of not accepting that the journey of healing is one where um, the switch is never off. So sometimes it's like a light switch, it's like a dimmer, sometimes Sometimes these symptoms are dimmed way down and sometimes the dim switch is dimmed up. And when we get into what is known as a setback, which I don't love that term because a setback is to be expected. So it's actually not a setback. It's just part of the journey. It doesn't mean you've messed up. Like our, like we've been fed the idea that A, we should all live in this perfect looking body and B, that that perfect looking body should be perfect all the time and see if it's not, there's a pill for everything in a surgery for those things that there's no pill for, as opposed to just embracing that also, A, the body takes a while to heal. B, the body does heal. I get people in their seventies who are like, am I too far gone? And I'm like, no, but you know, our culture has let you down by making you think that you're too far gone. That's ageism. That's just like, classic, you know, so, so the body heals, it takes time to heal and you better expect dips in the journey. And, and 
if you try something new, so sometimes people start Restore Your Core and they immediately get worse before they're getting better. And they're like, what's going on? I thought your program was supposed to help. And I'm like, hey, listen, whether it's Restore Your Core or you're getting back to Pilates or you want to join your gym again, your body is designed to react to new things. If it's being reactive, say thank you. Don't think that you have failed or that your body has failed you or that you're like this alien who was given the worst set of cards and that's normal. So I want to normalize. I want to normalize this work. Actually, I'm not saying I want to normalize pelvic floor dysfunction, but I want to normalize the experience of it. And that, and that like, anytime you start something new, please expect your body to be, be like, Hey, Sarah, knock, knock. That was new. I'm going to send you some sort of warning signals in like, maybe you're going to feel sore or pained or worse, but it doesn't mean that that very new thing is bad. Can you keep showing up for a few weeks, please? While we determine whether this is actually helpful for you, you're just having a very normal body reaction. And so we need to get out of the mindset of like, um, you know, because people always email me, they're like, can you fix me? And I'm like, but you're not broken, but you're not broke. Like, no, I can't fix you because you're not broken, but I can help give you the tools to be in your body in a different way. Whether that will give you the outcome you're looking for or not, I can't tell you. There are too many factors out of my control, but the overwhelming majority of people do feel better when they drop in and connect to their bodies. And being in our body and having a physical practice shouldn't be seen as a temporary fix. I would like every person in their body to be on a physical journey because that is your privilege. Like, who am I if not of my body? And I think, again, we have been taught that like, be in your body to make it skinnier, be in your body to make it fitter, be in your body to make it do performance things. How about be in your body because you are, because that's yours. That's the only thing in this world that really belongs to you. So I would say those are the messaging that I'd like, uh, uh, you know, because people dealing with prolapse and incontinence feel a lot of pain, shame, frustration, and anger. And it can then make it hard to want to heal. When you're that deep into it, it's hard to see that there will be a reward of any form. Yeah. And I've really, got to put in the work. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's been such a teacher for me with a prolapse. And I, you know, I really love what you shared about that it takes time. And for me, there was so much exploration, fine-tuning. What do I do in my day that impacts it? What what contributes to my symptoms? And now I, I hardly feel it. And then a couple of weekends ago, I was super, super busy and it, I, I could feel it coming back. And I now see my prolapse as a barometer of you're just doing too much. And, you know, every now and then she comes back, but it, she's yeah. been such a teacher. Um, to really track and look after my body, but also to really maintain that when I don't feel her, because I know it's all the things that I do. I do a lot of Qigong myself and, um, you know, different, you know, just resting my legs up at the end of the day, just these little things that I now have right. weaved into my everyday. I know they contribute to not just my health and well-being, but also keeping my prolapse asymptomatic. And stress. Yeah. Those practices that you're talking about are de-stressors. And we know for a fact that when people are under stress, not only are they more prone to disease, they don't live for as many years, but their prolapse gets way worse. And that's hard because when you have a prolapse, you have stress. Yeah. I mean, I have people who would like to end their life emailing me almost every other day. I get this, like that email regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, because it is so extremely disheartening for some people. It is like a shock, what? But I, I like to also, you know, so, so stress is a huge one, but I also like to talk about like, you, you don't have to do 45 things a day to feel better. Like it could just be lie down every day and put your legs up the wall. Like it could just be these little rituals that connect you and help you feel less stressed. And when you feel less stressed, your body will actually feel better. And I like to see prolapse the way people see, like people who have migraines know that something's off in their life when a migraine comes or irritable bowel or any of those other things. 
that are, like you said, signposts of like, hey, barometers, hey, time to check in. Prolapse is exactly that. We all have it somewhere. For me, it's in my back, right? So we all have this signal in our body that our body starts alerting us of like, hey, could you just, could you just pay a different attention to me right now? I need a different type of attention, but it doesn't, it doesn't require a life overhaul. Like you said, it could just be these little rituals throughout a day that really begin to make a huge difference. The, 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 the very first thing I want my clients to do is de-stress. Like what, where is your stress coming from? Yeah. Let's minimize that. Mm. It's hard. It's really it's, hard. It's a big one. And I, you know, and I, I really, yeah, really value all that you're sharing. And and so you mentioned as well around so 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 that time sense for people and you know part of your approach is very much you you call it restore your core. So I'd love to you to, to talk about why the, the core is important, particularly. Yeah, it's a great question. Again, I think we're so used to piecemealing out the body. Like, oh, you have your abdominal, like your abdominal muscles, you've got your pelvic floor muscles on the bottom, the abdominal muscles on the front, and then you have the spinal muscles on the back and the glutes on the back as well. So those would be like our main, I call all of those the core, but most people think of those as separate systems. They're like, strengthen your glutes, squeeze them and you know, but your, your body is a suspension bridge in its design. It's a, it's an architect of, it's a, it's a system of tension and compression, pulls and pushes. And if, you know, so, so the core is one part of that system and in our society and culture, we do a lot of gripping in our core. We do a lot of trying to get our core to be flat. We do a lot of blasting the core, toning, tightening, flattening, suctioning, lipoing the core, just so it can be so flat, which is fine. I mean, everybody makes their own decision about what they want to do at the end of the day, but all of that will have ramifications on the pelvic floor. And likewise, what we're doing in the pelvic floor will feed into the core because it's all one muscular system. And it's if you if if you stand up and you just make a micro movement in your foot, for example, and you like, um, you, you, I showed this on my Instagram the other day, but you twist your body and turn your body around that you can feel it from your head into your shoulders, into your chest, into your hips, into your thighs and your foot at the end of that will twist as well. And so movement, human movement all day long is a series of twisting and propelling and propulsions and movements. And the core is kind of in the center of all of that. It is a conduit. It is designed to kind of transmit those forces from the ground up and down. And if there is an abruption in that, if the core is tight and tense or the thoracic, the rib cage is gripping and tight and tense, the core cannot be that conduit. It cannot have that ability to transmit forces, to stabilize when needed, to be fluid and juicy. Otherwise, you know, it needs to, it needs to have give, but it also needs to compress. And it is built in and automated. We don't tell our body to tighten and release and give, and we don't, it just does these things, but it can't do those things effectively if we are tight and restricted and immobile. So restore your core, like the core element of all of that is a few things. I mean, the core is the, I look at the core, this conduit system and this support system and the system that kind of compresses. Like when I reach my arm out, I should have the fluidity, like I shouldn't have to feel it in my back. I should have the fluidity through my system that I can reach up for a glass high up on a shelf without my back going out on me or feeling tight and tense. The movement will translate into my back, but it should be this kind of effortless translation through the parts rather than suddenly like, because my body is not used to having this give, it doesn't give and it tights and tenses as well. And in moments where we should be tightening and tensing and finding stability, like standing on a train that's moving and we should be kind of feeling, finding that um, stability to stay upright, even as the body is being jostled. If we don't have that, we end up in a place where we will 
grip and tighten and tense in certain body parts to try to achieve that rather than this entire, like when you're on a subway or train and the train is moving and you're jostling, your body will be jostling. You will be in motion. But in that in motion, there should be this stability that you feel from your feet, through your knees, through your pelvis, through your, like everything is being jostled. But for a lot of us, because we lack that transmission ability, that ability to kind of transmit force equally through our body parts, we're gripping in tight and we're kind of falling all over and we're jerking and we're spasming or we need to hold on tight to this external thing because we lack, uh, we have to hold the pole because we lack the ability to kind of be fluid or be stable in a fluid environment. So life is about being stable in these very fluid environments or being fluid when needed. And so and the core is like, again, just that conduit. It's like, but, but we mess it up. We kind of, we, we, we are too tight or we're too gripped or we've, we've siloed, we've partitioned the core out and done all this work to tighten it and flatten it. it, it, it it's not working cohesively with the whole system. Mm. So I hope that answers you. That was a long yeah, yeah. answer. <laughs> so I'm I guessing. don't really have one answer for that, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know, I could, I'm guessing then, you know, that your program could actually benefit lots of people, not just people with pelvic floor issues. And, and For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I work with really so that. many types. Yeah, I work with all sorts of types of people. Yeah, so so a couple, a couple more questions. I'd love to, you know, bring this to intimacy and sex because hmm. obviously um you know this really can you know affect like for example when I had a first had a prolapse you know the thought of having sex was actually really scary I was just like you know and and I'm actually very comfortable with my body so I can only imagine what it can be like for somebody who didn't have that relationship prior so I'd love you just to speak to um you know, the, the relationship with our pelvic floor and pleasure. And, and yeah, just love you to hear, to hear your wisdom on that. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, we're not taught to, to, we're not taught about pleasure. And, and hopefully we find for those of us who are not taught about it, or encouraged to explore pleasure on our own. Um, you know, we learn about it either by this first experience or 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 not. I, I have so many people contacting me in their 30s and 40s who have never had an orgasm and would love to experience that and have never experienced self-pleasure. And then we add to that this whole, you know, ableism, like there's so much conversation around like a tight vagina is the best vagina. And now we have somebody who has a prolapse, right? And so like we haven't been taught like me first, I come first, right? On multiple levels, right? And we haven't taught this, I come first at any, in like take me as I am. And we also haven't been taught that like most people, if it like most, most people with a penis cannot feel a prolapse. They cannot feel that, like they cannot feel that the pelvic floor feels different. I have talked to many, many, many partners and been told by many hundreds of men that the experience feels the same to them. But if you are the person with the prolapse, you're thinking in the same way that people who have, you know, a diastasis recti or, you know, extra abdominal fat or don't feel safe, comfortable, at ease in their body. Now I'm a big body positive advocate. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel comfortable in your body, whether you are what, no matter what size you are, right? But a lot of people at certain sizes don't feel safe in their body. They don't feel safe in their body with themselves and then they don't feel safe in their body with someone else. So the first thing is like, just really starting to feel safe in your body and feeling that, you know, pleasure is your birthright. You deserve pleasure and you deserve to also say no. And you deserve to also say, I don't wanna have sex right now. I don't feel like being intimate in that way. I need a minute, right? It's okay to say, I need a minute, but to deny yourself pleasure because you think you're not worthy because your uterus is no longer where it used to be is not fair to you. Like, you know, A, they can't tell, but B, who gives a shit if they can tell or not? You still deserve to have this sexual in experience and, and, and it's intimacy. And can we be intimate with ourselves? Can we say, 
I'm okay with all of this because for so many people who've had babies and they don't have a prolapse, they hate their bodies too because their body doesn't meet a standard and they don't wanna have sex either. They wanna have sex in the dark and they wanna have sex with their clothes on and they wanna have sex like where they are not being seen because they are terrified that the way they look makes them less worthy. And it's about saying that like how you look and how your body is doesn't make you worthy or not of pleasure and intimacy. I mean, intimacy doesn't have to be about that final act of orgasm. It is so much deeper than that. Intimacy is also this, I'm okay. I'm okay and please, please see me as okay. But you have to see yourself as okay before other people can hold you as okay. You have to hold yourself as okay. And that's a hard journey. And that takes, I mean, I know that's the work you're doing with people. That is, that is a journey. And when you can say, and you said, like you used the words before that you're comfortable in your skin, you're comfortable in your body. So many people are so uncomfortable. They do not feel safe with themselves. So it's like, you know, whether you have a prolapse or not, like, do you feel safe with yourself? I have so many clients who will not look in the mirror at themselves naked. If you can't look at yourself in the mirror naked, I wouldn't expect you to feel comfortable and safe in another person's arms. It's hard. So getting to that safe space takes work. Getting to that space where you say, I'm okay the way I am. Then you are ready to receive from yourself and from others. But trying to just receive from others without that is like jumping five steps ahead. And, you know, and then I've had, I have had clients where it's, that's what it's needed. And sometimes that's been the gateway in. Right. So, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I'm not saying like, don't have sex if you don't feel confident <laughs> in your body, by all means do like, yes. And you're the intimacy expert, not me, but I would just say that, like, I think again, we've been led to believe that intimacy is about the act of orgasm. And I think intimacy is about the act of self-recognition. Yeah. And so many of us don't have that, you know, so many of us lack that, which is okay. I and mean, we haven't been given the tools. Yeah. And, or, you know, and of trauma, all sorts of different reasons. You know, I hated my body yeah. when I was in my twenties, absolutely hated it. Yeah. And so, you know, change is possible there a hundred percent. And uh, you know what they're saying about our kids. Do you, do you have children? That's a personal question, yeah. but I yeah. think you said you do. So um, but they're saying, I don't know how old your kids are, but they're saying that this generation that's coming up now, they're going to be doing like Botox and fillers by the time they're 20. Like, and it's going to be the norm. The standard is like, yeah. it used to be, <clears throat> and people are shocked. And I'm like, wait, but why are you shocked? That's what gyms are. What do you think a gym is? But to most of them, not so much anymore, but at the inception, many of them were Botox and fillers, but just for your muscles. Like, let's pump you up. Let's 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 change how you look, because then people will like you more, and you'll like you more. And so, I'm I'm not against Botox and fillers. I don't care what people do, but I'm just saying, like, it is so interesting that like now my generation sees it as something you do in your 40s and 50s to try to like you know deal with the lines on your forehead. But I can tell you that like. I hear my daughters and their teenage friends talking about, yeah, one day, yeah, I can't wait to get my lips filled. That's going to be so fun to see what that looks like. And I'm just like, wait, no, you don't do that till you're in your fifties. And they're like, what are you talking about? Everyone does it. I'm like, <laughs> but you know, that's what we're up against. That is what we're up against. It's like, here we are clawing to get like people to feel more intimate with themselves against that whole, you're not good enough. Let's just throw some injections in there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so to finish, because I'm conscious of time, I'd really love to hear you speak to how can people listening look after their pelvic floors and their core health? So, you know, that might be relevant if you've got issues there, but also more if you haven't, how do we maintain health and well-being there? What's what do you see is really key? I know it's mm, a that's question. a great question. <laughs> wow, that is a big question. I think that lifestyle goes into it as well. I mean, I hate to say it, but, and I'm not like, again, you'll see me wearing heels. You'll see me straying from the lifestyle pointers that I talk about. 
but I like to talk about these lifestyle things as things you can start. You don't have to like throw the baby out with the bathwater and make extreme changes, but we do know that heels are pretty damaging for the pelvic floor. We do know that really rigid shoes. And like, again, it's never, you know, especially women wear heels because they want to be taller, thinner, sexier, right? Again, like these cultural standards that make us change a lot in our appearance to try to meet them. So, you know, heels are, are not ideal. They cast our feet, they throw off our body alignment, they throw off our posture. It's hard to have that integrated core system that we were just talking about when heels make us tense and tighten, kind of gripping. Um, sitting a lot is not ideal for our pelvic floor. So I do like, I always like tell people like as much as you can counteract your sitting with a lot of walking, walking is the best thing you can do for your pelvic floor. It is the best exercise is the best thing you can do for your pelvic floor. So I try to get in five miles a day, but that's a lot. Five miles a day is a lot for most people. So like, can you give me 10 minutes? Can you take a 10 minute walk? Um, I like to encourage people to, if they have a seat desk sitting, stand up as much as you can, like go to the bathroom 500 times a day, take a water break, set a timer, do all of that. Um, and then, you know, movement, like movement in nature is great too. Like get out in nature, take hikes, vary the surfaces that you're moving on, but also things like yoga, Pilates, fitness, you know, things that are not necessarily, I'm not against high load, high rep, high endurance activities, but, but we do need to balance our system out with things that are a little bit more nurturing, slow, and just kind of a slow nurturing approach. Um, so, you know, I, and then of course, yeah, I, I would say those are some pretty big ones right there. It's like, if you really want to, take great care of your pelvic floor, take care of your kind of the lifestyle things. Cause those are the things you're doing 300 out, like more hours a day than anything is the lifestyle stuff. Yeah. Right. Beautiful. So, so the exercise stuff is important, but the lifestyle stuff is really important. The shoes you wear, how often you sit, the walks you take and then mobility. Like if there's, if there's if people are like, which one exercise it, ensure that your feet are strong that you're not like too collapsed. And if you have like super flat feet, do something about that. If you have super supinated feet, do something about that. Um, if you lack hip, like check into your hip mobility, this stuff is free on YouTube. Hip mobility, like just making sure thoracic mobility, making sure you have good movement through your, your, your trunk, your pelvis, your feet are strong. That's gonna be amazing for your pelvic mm -hmm. floor. And you've got heaps of fantastic content on your Instagram page. I do. And my YouTube, we're starting to add all my Instagram stuff to my YouTube. I've been a little bit um, slow in that regard. But yeah, and we have a Facebook group. We give away tons of free. Like I'm all about like empowering and educating. So there, yes, Instagram is very, very rich in content. Fantastic. I'll put all your details in the show notes. So any final wisdom that you'd like to share before we wrap up? You know, I would love every person, I use the term drop in. I would love every person, like that idea of like, are you looking down on yourself? Like a, some, my AC was broken and this guy came and ran a diagnostic. Like, are you living as a diagnostic of yourself or are you living as yourself? And I would just love everybody to drop in and just start to find ways to connect and be in themselves because it's so easy to live as a diagnostic version of yourself. Because when we seek help, we are often treated as an AC machine needing a diagnostic. Mm. We're not necessarily treated as a living, cellular, biological being that benefits from that kind of nurturing. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. So where can people thank find you, you online? Instagram and, and YouTube? Your Restore Your Core. The Facebook group is really nurturing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very responsive to when people write to me, I'm pretty good about responding email, all that stuff. Instagram is the most, uh, rich kind of content, rich area that I'm occupying right now. Amazing. Yeah. There's some fabulous stuff for people to check out. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was so nice to connect with you. <laughs> Likewise.
Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy. And I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sarahrosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.